six, five, four, three, two, one, zero. Prepare yourself for a world of science. This is... What is going on, everybody? Conley here with the Science Nights. We have uh, Dr. Thomas Schiller and Dr. Anurban Bhattacharjee in the studio. What's up, y'all? Doing good. Yeah. Staying warm. All right. Well, good, good. <laughs> uh, Sean Dram is out in Australia right now, sound asleep, just a snoozing away, isn't he? Yeah. It's like three o'clock over there, so <laughs> yeah, his, his alarm clock must not have gone off. <laughs> well, yeah, I'm sure he's... Uh, He's just uh, counting those uh, sheep out there right now, but uh, we're down there, I guess you should say. Well, we have a really fun show for you. Um, Dr. Anurban Bhattacharji, physicist and astronomer extraordinaire, gonna we're, we're going to wrap with you a little bit uh, on uh, electricity, because recently, as you know, we lost power this week. I, I no. did. Not everybody. <clears throat> did you? Yeah, we lost it for about 36 hours. 36 hours. Yep. Oh, okay. We well, had water the whole time, but we lost power for about 36 hours. Yeah, out in the, uh, I guess I would say east side of town, uh, there was power lost for a good 58, mm -hmm. 58 hours. So how about you, Anurban? Did you lose? I was one of the very fortunate ones. I just lost cell phone connection for seven or eight hours. That's oh, about man. It. Oh, yeah. that must have been tough. How, how did you get through it? I know, right? <laughs> I don't know. Just went back to 1980s, I guess. <laughs> sure. Yeah. yeah. Those, those uh, car phones in a leather pouch. Yeah, kind yeah. of like that. So, but no, I was really fortunate in that regard. And um, I didn't really lose any power. So, oh. yeah. <laughs> well, well, that's good. That's yeah. good. Yeah, yeah, we actually had fun. We had, it was like camping for us you know yeah we had all the the camping equipment propane stove propane heater and um it was good we just read books and hung out under the blankets my two-year-old had a blast with all of his layers on and playing in the snow so <laughs> oh that's good uh, wasn't too bad for us very wholesome yeah 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 but you got to watch out for that co2 poisoning yeah, we, we had our carbon monoxide detector on so um, and made sure that the house was well ventilated when we when we brought the heater inside. We didn't have to use it that much, though, because we had lots of jackets and blankets and things like that. Oh, very cool. Yeah. Very cool. And you set up a tent inside the house? Uh, sure, yeah. Well, <laughs> no, we didn't. My, my two-year-old has a little tent in his bedroom. Oh, um, okay. Which happened to be like the warmest place in the house so we spent some time in his little tent in his bedroom but That's otherwise cool. we just yeah hung out under the blankets and nice very cool had a good time just watching netflix in that third eye there huh yeah yeah using our brains <laughs> instead of mindlessly staring at the tv it was it was good i yeah but it's very stimulating for us too like because we had to be creative we went we went back to the like 1950s we were playing yahtzee and uh dominoes and we just yeah. kind of you know played a little bit it was it was cool i, I mean I, I was fine but uh did did have to do some running around for other people that weren't as fortunate that they couldn't get out uh i luckily have a four-wheel drive and so you know that mm -hmm. uh that gave me the ability to help others which yeah. is really good yeah but, i hope i hope it turns into a learning experience for people yeah um, to kind of always be prepared not like 
bomb shelter prepared necessarily, but um, it's good to have some canned food and water stowed away just in case. Um, and I think some people weren't prepared. And um, it, like if you go on social media on Facebook, you see there were a lot of people who were kind of frantic because sure. they, oh, yeah. they didn't have any food or water stored uh, up. So to be also very honest on this, as I wasn't prepared, I would have been frantic if that's happened to me because yeah. I, I'm on the other hand, like I expect this is the United States. There yeah. should not be a catastrophic failure over 24 hours of this sort. And it doesn't matter if Texas is this going to happen once in 30 years. Uh, they were forewarned before this. It's not like this is going to happen suddenly. So if you are industry and if you're getting warnings, you need to prepare yourself sure. for what's coming. So I think it's completely, uh, I mean, if yeah, sure, if there's a hurricane hitting you, a cyclone there, suddenly something happens and the tsunami comes and wipes like all the stuff that happens in Japan. Sure, that is completely understandable. And But on this is like, we knew this was coming yeah and uh, and there's an expectation from in basically people is providing you power to get yourself prepared mm -hmm. and this is this is not i mean to in my mind this is not acceptable at all and and right um, yeah and, and well, this <clears throat> might be a good a good segue into our first topic we're going to be talking about two things today um one is energy <clears throat> sorry <Yeah. clears> energy um, how we get it, how we produce it. Um, so what what happened? Well, to to my understanding, what happened was our our natural gas infrastructure mm -hmm. basically froze over, as well as the the I think twenty percent of the energy we get is from wind turbines. Wind tur about seventeen. Yeah. Is it seventeen? Yeah. yeah. Um, and they also froze up. So it was a combination right. of natural gas and wind energy. Um, that just was not prepared for um, an event like this. Right. Um, old technology, outdated technology um, that wasn't able to 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 Let's generate energy. Cold, yeah. Um, in the, the you know close to zero degree conditions. Sure. And yeah. And down here we're not really. No, 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 no anyway. absolutely no. And I do understand that part. Like the Texas never come. This doesn't happen. Right. I mean, I've lived eight years in Wyoming, so I know what it feels like actual cold to hit. So I mm -hmm. know what is it. But uh, they're always prepared and everything like that. So yeah, but I and, always wonder like how uh, much time it would take for like even if we had like a week. El Paso didn't have any problem. Oh, they didn't? No, okay. because they had winterized their power grid, and so they were good oh, to go. Mm -hmm. El Paso had warning, and El Paso is hotter than other places in mm -hmm. Texas. So I don't see the... Uh, yeah, so... Uh, yeah, it's definitely something yeah. that we will have yeah, to investigate but, uh, and look yeah, more I, into. Yeah, I think science nights should like go more into science part of yeah, the energy yeah, stuff. Yeah, rather, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, first off, that comes to the, the real question is... Okay, now this is something amazing. Funny story. And uh, a while back, we got this, um, uh, it's a hotspot, a Wi-Fi hotspot, okay? Okay. You know what that is? Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. It's this little mechanical device, and it just makes internet. It just makes it somehow. And uh, you charge it up, and then boom, you have internet. Uh, I don't know what gnome is inside of that thing. <laughs> I don't know what kind of magic that they use, if they're like... You know, I was going to say basically it's kind of like a SIM card which is in there, which will just connect to the uh, data service part of your cell cell network yeah. and provide you Wi-Fi through that. So, right, yeah, right, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. But but it's amazing how, yeah, it, how is, it all yeah. works. So what what 
is our electricity? Like we have to make energy, right? Mm -hmm. And then we have to store the energy and put it through our grid. Is that correct? Yep. Okay. Yeah. So what are some ways that we can make energy? So most of our energy comes from burning hydrocarbons. Um, down here in the southern part of the U.S., it's mostly natural gas. Um, <clears throat> and uh, up north, they depend a little bit more on coal. Um, both of those are, are hydrocarbons. Um, natural gas, um, we get from ancient deposits where organic material has has accumulated and generates um, mostly methane from a process called uh, methanogenesis. Hmm. And that natural gas kind of fills the, the cracks and the fissures beneath the surface, and we can tap into that and extract it. Hmm. Um, a lot of times it's associated with, with um, oil. So when we extract um, oil for, like, gasoline, um, we get a little bit of natural gas with that. And I think in Texas... I want to say, I might be wrong here. I think, Conley, you looked into the percentages. Um, maybe 40% of our of Texas's energy comes from natural gas. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, over. I think it's over 40. Is I it over it's 40? like 48. Okay. Something like um, that. So most of our energy here in Texas comes from natural gas. And we basically, we burn it to generate electricity and, and provide that to the to the grid i mean yeah. i was going to say barring solar power sure. right barring solar power there is only the basic fundamental principle rise you you burn the uh, gas oil the nuclear fuel whatever you do and I, and i think we have talked about this a little bit earlier too is basically you want to what you want to do is um boil water Mm -hmm. Right, but boiling water it provides you steam, and that keeps your turbine running. And the same turbines you see is what's uh, like in the windmills, what keeps on moving. That's turbine, and that's what. And you take the turbine, and they have, and what you do is basically have an electric wire, kind of a loop inside a magnetic field. So, and mm -hmm. that kind of generates a current. So, basically, the principle is if you have a metal conductor, kind of a loop thing inside uh, inside a magnetic field mm -hmm. so the magnetic field uh, so as you turn that loop the wire loop the magnetic field changes and the changing magnetic field even though it's permanent but the amount of magnetic field that is that the loop is kind of going through changes um, it's a little technical but uh, yeah. as it changes it produces current so but fundamental principle is that you need something a metal object to rotate inside a magnetic field. Right. So anything that you see that swirls, the, the turbines that are moving is basically what they're doing. The dams, the water they're falling is basically moving your turbines mm. in a, uh, like a regulated manner. That's what we want to get the things moving, spinning in a circle, and that will generate electricity. And have they implemented underwater uh, windmills on the, uh, on the coastline? I know uh, in the Pacific Northwest they have. Mm -hmm. You're talking about tidal. Yeah. yeah. Tidal power generation. <laughs> yeah, tidal power yeah there is a lot in, like, especially in Denmark and all those areas, they do that. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, well, uh, I want to ask you a little bit, uh, Thomas, about oil. Mm -hmm. Because there is a, um, I guess it, now it's a myth uh, that oil's old dinosaurs? Yeah, it's it's not. It's, it's right. most of the oil that, <clears throat> sorry, <clears throat> most of the oil that we extract comes from the accumulation of tiny, tiny little organisms um, mm -hmm. that accumulate usually in the ocean. So you have kajillions of these, these little uh, microorganisms that are allowed to accumulate. They don't break down, and then they're buried by sediment. 
and uh, they turn into this kind of um, carbon-rich sludge, this petroleum that we extract. Um, and then it's, it's uh, extracted and refined into gasoline, and it's used for, for other byproducts and things like that. Uh, but that's the stuff that goes into your car. Right. Um, the gases that are generated by that, that process form the natural gas that we use for, for electricity. Propane and... Yeah, propane, butane, methane, stuff like that. Right. Well, um, okay, so are these little organisms that are basically sludge, like you say, do those, like, evolve over billions of years? They've been around for a long time. Yeah. Yeah. And and we're creating them right now. How long would it take, like, if you had, you know, uh, I don't know, if you tried to farm them, like, could you grow them? Oh, no, we wouldn't be able to do that. It, <laughs> no. it, it takes many, many, many years for, for that. Millions many of years, like tens yeah. of millions of years. Yeah. Whoa, whoa. Yeah. So, but, but they've, like you, like you asked Conley, they have existed for a long time. So that's yeah. why we have such a, a abundant hydrocarbon reserve, mm-hmm. at least in that sense, because imagine the, the amount of ocean that's existed on the surface of the earth. Yeah. Um, and these little organisms inhabit kind of the upper part of the of the ocean, and when they die, they kind of fall down through the water column and settle on the ocean floor. And in places where there's um, not a lot of oxidation taking place, not a lot of bacteria to break them down, they can accumulate to the extent that they form hydrocarbon um, mm. um, deposits. Wow! So, so and, like, and we've been extracting them for like a fraction. Yeah. Compared to their yeah. like nothing. Yeah, and that's that's one of the big controversies when it comes to to petroleum uh, extraction is just how much is left out there. Mm-hmm. And honestly, it's it's you see a huge range in the estimates depending on who's doing the, the estimating, right? Mm-hmm. So um, some people say that we've got fifty years worth of reserves um, based on our current rates of extraction, and others say it's twice, three times that. Um, and honestly, it's hard to it's hard to say. Um, the reason being is because um, in oil and gas industry, the technology is always evolving, and new and more efficient ways of extracting oil are are kind of coming into play, like mm. hydraulic fracking and stuff like that. Mm. So it's it's hard to say, um, but it is it is polluting. You know, burning hydrocarbons um, it generates greenhouse gases. It generates pollution. So um, all of these these alternate energy sources, wind and solar, um, are good things. Um, obviously, you know, wind isn't necessarily the most reliable source, but um, it's cleaner, at least in, in its uh, byproducts than, so, than oil. So I was going to point out, and here is we can make a distinction of where, as uh, Thomas was saying, about the current estimate of amount of, like, uh, the oil remaining or whatever, whatever time it is they're saying is like we can say this is what it means it's a non-renewable source yeah. because so there's no renewing this right. source right yeah and uh, and people need to understand like or not people i would like i don't know say if it sounds condescending or not when i use that term but when we, when i say when we say renewable it means like it's it's not that the fact that the the solar energy that you're using 
it's not that you're reusing that energy, mm-hmm. but it's like sun is going to be here for billions of years. So we can keep on using that, even worrying about if it's going to run out or not. So mm-hmm. that's what we are looking at. Like the wind is going to keep on moving. So it's not going to run out. Suddenly right. the wind is not going to come. And the mm-hmm. tides are going to happen every day. So that's what we are looking at. It's not something we're running out. Whereas like coal and petroleum, which at this point, uh, I was looking at numbers, like constitutes over 80% of world's uh, natural, uh, like uh, energy consumption, yeah. uh, like over that amount. So 80% is a big amount. Yeah. And it's all, and it's going to keep on increasing. So uh, it's much better that we shift to like things like solar, wind, which uh, as Thomas pointed out, doesn't... Uh, uh, release carbon dioxide and for any i mean even for the skeptics i would like to point out would you would you want to breathe in from the exhaust from your car right. mean, that's the first thing nobody wants to do that mm-hmm. that's you know that's bad right if you can switch to a better cleaner source why not yeah so. well, well can we see it kind of like this because right now we're in a very primitive uh like i guess the way i see it is when humans first created fire and used tools I mean, they're very, and they're ancestral, but they're also very primitive. They're, to them, it was like cutting edge technology, yeah. right? <laughs> but now to us, in this journey towards infinite energy, like we're using oil and it's kind of a primitive like technique to, to use this non-renewable source that we know we're going to run out of, but we're using it right now as a boost in order to evolve our ideas and, and yeah. Absolutely. Really kind of just grow and learn how to get this infinite energy. Yeah. That- yeah. And, and like Honorbon was saying, our reliance on it is is incredible. 80%. Yeah. Um, and what people have to understand, I kind of have a more, I have a pragmatic look outlook on, on, this, on this sort of thing, is we need to gradually shift, I think. So yeah. my opinion, and I know this is the science nights, but, but uh, my opinion is, you know, maybe the solar and the wind, and we see it out here in West Texas. Mm-hmm. Is something at least now that's more practical um, to use on a individual scale. So you have solar panels at your house. You maybe have a couple of wind turbines, mm-hmm. um, and then gradually shift away from 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 petroleum. Mm-hmm. Um, and one thing we might talk about this after the break um, that's kind of controversial is is nuclear power. We haven't mentioned nuclear power mm-hmm. yet, and I think. Honorbon and I agree on nuclear power yeah, to no, an extent. And I, and I agree with what Thomas is saying, but what I personally would like to say is before, like there should be a consistent encouragement from just from the, from the general public and from governments around the world to do a, like a conscious shift. Mm-hmm. There should not, this should not be like uh, whatever it is, but there should be a conscious shift that you depending on renewable is better than depending on rather than depending on non-renewable oh yeah yeah that is what and i think that's common sense yeah yeah right i mean there's going to be a bottom to the bucket at some point and And it's up to us to to you know what be appreciative of our oil field workers and be appreciative of the whole oil industry right now and but also know that hey we gotta we gotta shift away from this this is gonna end at some point yeah a little by little every increment it will help us. And just yeah. like our power outage is yeah. being prepared, right? Yep. We're, we got to right. shift into that uh, way of being prepared. So, all right, we're going to take a quick commercial break. We'll be back with, uh, we'll segue into the nuclear energy, and then we'll get into uh, a little perseverance. All right, we are back with the Science Nights. We have a special guest on the line. going to ask the question. Uh, how, how are you, guest? How are you, caller? Oh. You there? Hello? 
Uh oh. Well, that that happened. I think he's gonna try calling back here. That's okay. We're gonna get him back, and uh, we'll we'll take his call here shortly. Anyway, um, basically the uh, we're we're gonna go ahead and get right on back into the show. Oh, here, there's a caller. Here we go. Hello, Rick. Yeah, Conley, sorry I dropped off. Not sure what the issue was. Oh, that's okay. That's okay. We we have you calling in. You have a really good question for us, and uh, I kind of preface the nights here about it, but would you mind uh, letting our listeners know what your question is? Uh, by all means, yeah. So I really appreciate the show and what you guys are talking about. These are so important that we have dialogue about it. You know, as one who has a rather large you know, solar array in our house to make sure we use solar power, quote-unquote, the renewables, one of the questions that comes up a lot now is in producing solar panels, uh, it consumes lots of energy. Uh, the same in terms of uh, creating the wind turbines consumes lots of energy. Certainly all that can be done by electricity. But the challenge is when it comes time to recycle those, the cost of recycling and the impact from an environmental standpoint is now beginning to really be understood. Could you all talk about your perspective on that? and how those issues are going to get resolved, because if we're trying to use renewables to reduce our energy consumption, yet we're creating a greater environmental impact, we don't have a plan for that yet. Sure. Thanks for your question, Rick. Um, so I don't, I don't know too much about the, um, the costs and everything involved with that, but um, if you look at something like a wind turbine or uh, a big solar array, like you said, the just the raw materials that go into building something like that. There's metal and there's all sorts of electronics. Um, obviously, that stuff is going to require energy to, to produce. And I think another big component of the, the controversy there is what happens to a big wind turbine when it stops working. Like, can you maintain it? How many years can you maintain it for? And then once it is uh, dead, where does it go? Well, basically, it's either recycled or it gets dumped somewhere. And these are metals and electronics that are polluting. And um, like solar arrays, for example, and Rick, you probably know this a lot better than I do, um, have batteries. They have big, uh, you know, batteries linked together. And batteries have lithium and all sorts of nasty stuff in them that can be polluting to the groundwater. So that's a big question. And honestly, I don't, I don't know what the... Um, what the uh, um, the folks who work in those industries are predicting when it comes to the environmental impact, but there will be one. Um, I was just going to point out, just for the cost right now, the solar arrays are pretty cheap. It has become really, really cheap. And one thing we will uh, need to consider, I mean, like these renewable, right? It's still coming into play. More it comes into play, better we get. More money comes into research. Like, uh, there are ideas which is uh, things like we are, we are going to make uh, our window panes and like the glasses, window glasses and everything as a solar array. They're trying to do a, like a transparent uh, solar pa arrays on your uh, window glasses and everything. So there is that. And another thing about the uh, construction, as you're moving into renewable, what the, another thing is like you use the power, renewable power, to make stuff for renewable energy. So there is that. We're also trying to get making batteries, which is Elon Musk has done in Australia, successfully implemented of using batteries to store energy. So if there's a power grid failure like this happened in Texas, 
like if the Australia goes into a blackout, they have backup power for like I think twelve hours or something like that. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure. So they have provided they have a backup energy with the uh, batteries and stuff like that. So there is that, and then th- there is an environmental impact. But uh, on a personal front, I feel the environmental impact of a uh, wind turbine, uh, wind turbines lying on the ground, mm-hmm. can be controlled much easier than um, increasing the amount of carbon dioxide or methane in the atmosphere so yeah that that kind of brings me back to uh rick's initial question rick are you still on the line with us okay great yeah and uh you you did mention about the cost of recycling as well i know elon musk did make those batteries but the cost to recycle them i mean that takes a lot of resources i do agree that's that's a challenge and we will i mean we are facing challenges even with uh, we have faced i mean if you, if anybody remembers, like uh, uh, like the exhaust from cars of like 50, 60 oh, yeah. years, or way like way worse compared to now, right? We have become better, even with oil and um, gas and everything else. I, I and I assume the same thing is going to happen to this renewable. Right. So, Rick, um, if you're still on the line, what what has your experience been with your solar array? Is it is it a good thing, a bad thing? Well, I think it's a good thing. Uh, you know, solar arrays are going to last 20, 25 years, and, and the better technology will continue to spread them out. That's all good. I just think, and my comment is, there really needs to be as much focus on the environmental impact about recycling when they're no longer available, because we don't have to look too far beyond tires, car batteries, and all the other items that it takes and that's never been included in the discussion. Mm. And I think it's an important part that when we think about making investments, not only we need to make investments in the renewable products, we need to make investments about how we're going to handle these because we're now approaching a cycle where we're coming up to about 20 years since solar's been out there and stand by for the number of things that are going to have to be recycled. What we don't want is everything with lithium, lead, Hopper going into the dumps, we want it recycled, and there is not that infrastructure in place to it. Yeah, right. I agree. Yeah, 100%. Well, thank you, Rick, uh, so much, and, and very good comments. Great question, and we appreciate you listening and calling in. Hey, thanks. Thank you, guys. Thanks, Rick. Thank you. Yeah, that's Rick Stevens, uh, city councilman, uh, and he has a, a show here on uh, KVLF uh, every week. And uh, he, uh, he's a really, man, very knowledgeable person. Um, so um, uh, I was just going to say, so we were talk- going to talk about nuclear, right? Yeah. And Thomas is a big proponent of nuclear. And I, I support nuclear because uh, anytime, um, like, the, for example, people always think of Chernobyl, the first things that come into mind, come <laughs> yeah. into mind right? What will happen then? Well, it, one of the things about Chernobyl, is it is a management failure, just like, this one is a management failure, mm-hmm. and uh, engineers were always warning and uh, warning us, uh, warning the people up in management. This needs to be. You need to do something about this, uh, Chernobyl. And in fact, I would like to point out: if the engineers did not shut the grids down this time in Texas, this would have been way worse. Yeah, to way, yeah. way worse. Yeah, I, I saw that on the news this yeah. morning. They were they were looking at the potential for just having a, a total, total lost. Uh, yeah. yeah. So, wow. so some smart down. people yeah. jumped into action and, and prevented down. a major, major, major disaster. Yes. 
So ERCOT did did good. They were the traffic control, air traffic control. Was it ERCOT people? No, who, it was, no, it wasn't. These, are, these are engineers uh, who are in. I don't know if ERCOT was even involved. These are oh, wow. I, I I'm not sure. So Individuals. Yeah, I think that like engineers wow. basically telling people to shut the grids down because if the, because we were pulling power way too much from those and they were getting overloaded. Yeah, and if they had burned out, like replacing them would be even bigger pain. Oh, wow, jeez. So, so uh, yeah, science at work, right? Yeah, yeah. preventing <laughs> preventing some catastrophe. So, uh, so I, I think maybe in the future we'll do a full episode on nuclear power. Yeah, um, yeah. But well, I, we have I, about I, seven more minutes. I think after the break we'll start talking about Mars a little bit. We okay. can do a full show on Mars too. But <laughs> I think we're just going to focus after the break on uh, just the Mars a little bit yeah. perseverance yeah. because we have three missions. Uh, uh, oh, I was going to talk to you about this. Uh, um, very interesting power supply thing. Okay. Uh, so, uh, and it's called Limnic Explosions, L-I-M-N-I-C. Okay. Limnic Explosions, um, this phenomena that is uh, you can use. So what I didn't know about this till yesterday. So somebody forwarded this to me. So this is uh, something very interesting. So you have a, a lake, right? Say you have a lake. Uh, underneath the lake, there is a somehow you have a lot of carbon dioxide uh, deposit, like water. Yeah. Think about like soda. Soda. Can right? I can I jump in there? Yes, go ahead. So this this has to do with lake stratification. Mm -hmm. I, lake for some reason, when you were telling me about this before we started the show, it didn't click. But yeah, lake stratification. Yeah, lake yeah. stratification. You can you have lakes in particular in uh, places close to the equator in the tropics that don't have a lot of seasonal fluctuation in temperature. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So basically, the hypolimnion, the lowest layer of the lake, accumulates a bunch of gas. Gas. Oh, wow. Um, uh, yeah, because the pressure huh. from the... So think about this. So you have, like, at least in Alpine in Texas, everybody loves Tropo Chico, right? Tropo oh, Chico, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. So you have the carbonated water, right? It's yeah. like you put, put carb, dissolved carbon dioxide inside water at a pressure, right? Same thing is happening. The top layers of the water is kind of pushing the lower layers down. They're also dissolving carbon dioxide. Right? And in these lakes, there's a huge amount of carbon dioxide that gets dissolved in the bottom layers. Now, uh, what happens now is um, something uh, agitates. There is some kind of a disturbance. Mm. And that, that thing, now the bubbles up, the carbon dioxide, for some reason. And uh, one critical thing, it can, the lower layers of the lake uh, cannot be next to a geothermal vent because otherwise you are kind of churning the water up and down. So it's not going to work. It needs to be very calm underneath. So it can settle down, calm and cold, settle down, and the carbon dioxide explodes out, right? And uh, <laughs> yeah. now <laughs> it sounds very, it sounds very funny. It, like you have this huge it's carbon. Not, it's not funny at all because it kills a lot. Of yes, jeez. Oh, yeah. uh, in 1986, um, uh, the first time it was recorded, it killed around 37 people in Cameroon. Whoa! And then, hold on, in 1987, and I think this is in. Um, Congo or somewhere, um, I don't know exact place, it killed over hundreds of people. Really? So what happens is the carbon dioxide comes out, right? Yeah. It's a huge amount of carbon dioxide, and this is like lakes which you have villages next to it, sure. and it spreads out, and it covers... Yeah, like an earthquake or a landslide can just trigger the lake to explode. Explode. And the carbon dioxide comes out and oh. covers these entire villages, and it kills off vegetation, it will kill off animals, kills off like, all the people living there, like... Yeah, and so now when you say it explodes, you're not talking about physically. You're just talking no, about it, explo it, 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 it explodes. explodes out. Yeah. Oh, it does explode. Yeah. So, so there's actual shrapnel and stuff. The water. Well, it's coming out of the water. Water. 
Right. So it's just a pocket of gas that erupts out of the water. Right, um, right. Yeah. And and people who witness it are not around long to, to testify to oh it. Oh, my God. Yeah, yeah because wow. uh, you have this huge amount of carbon dioxide coming in. And you, you, usually it will, what has happened is the people were sleeping in the night. And the carbon dioxide spread out in the village. And they just and, wouldn't wake up. And wouldn't mm. wake up. And it's like complete wiped out. So there is like... The invisible mm. enemy. And they'd still be in bed. Like Most They wouldn't yeah. be... Yeah. And, knocked and around or anything. So the technology that we have now mitigates that for the most part. And this is probably something yeah. you, you looked into, Honorban. But um, now in these big lakes, like in Central Africa, they basically take a big pipe, a big straw, and, and stick it down into the hypolimnion lower layer of the lake uh-huh. and, oh. and, and regulate the release of, of those gases. So and I'm assuming they're wanting yeah. to use it for energy production. So yeah, so usually it's carbon dioxide that is happening, and uh, um, and carbon dioxide you can't really use it for energy purposes. But what we can do is there's a lake called Lake Kivu, and this is in the border of Rwanda and Democratic Congo Republic of Congo. Uh, Con- yeah, DCR I think is what it's called now. Uh, what they do is in that Lake Kivu is like a huge amount of methane underneath and store carbon dioxide. So they use the methane, they kind of like extract the methane from the beds of that lake, mm-hmm. and they use that to generate power. So wow. that's a very cool... That's uh, really cool. Yeah. They're, they're our, our taking our, something that could take them out yeah. and using it to mm-hmm. make them flourish. Yeah. Our, a lot of our big landfills generate a lot of methane too, and... Um, for the most part, that stuff is just burn off. They have <sighs> flares that burn it off. And yeah. um, we're kind of reaching that point where the technology might be um, practical enough to where we can use it or harness it as an energy source. And there are a lot of big cities that will take that, that natural gas that comes out of landfills and they use it for their vehicles, their, mm. their municipal vehicles. Wow. And, and we do have one term for this, like which has been used for a long time throughout history of uh, our civilization called biomass. It's not biomass of ecology, but this is biomass basically where you have the, our waste products uh, of uh, animal bio, whatever left over, excreta, and you use that to, and they release when you store them and they will release a lot of mm-hmm. methane. Wow. And uh, you use that to generate uh, power. And it's, it's been used for a long time. It's not in different parts of Africa, uh, Asia. You use that like the uh, uh, product mm-hmm. and you've been using that for a long time. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. And these are all great, like novel ways of generating energy and on a small scale, reducing the, uh, the dependence we have on, on hydrocarbons. Yeah. Um, but we've got like two minutes before the break yeah. and I'm going to stand on my soapbox one more time Go ahead. Um, to take that 80% of hydrocarbon reliance. Me personally, and this is my opinion, and we can get people to call in or whatever, um, I think the only way we can practically shift from 80% reliance on hydrocarbons is to increase our reliance on nuclear energy. Mm. Because though it's not a renewable energy source, the material we use in nuclear power generation is incredibly abundant. Uranium, plutonium, uranium is everywhere. Right. And it's it's easily and cheaply mined. Um, it's incredibly safe statistically. It doesn't seem like it. Talking about like Chernobyl and Three yeah. Mile Island, it's incredibly safe. Places around the world use nuclear power, um, and the technology um, has advanced so much since Chernobyl that um, it's a lot safer than than I'm- petroleum. Um, I mean, thinking about it rationally, it took a tsunami in Japan, a huge tsunami to knock up nuclear power plant. Even then, they didn't go under 
whatever, whatever happened in Chernobyl did not yeah. happen. There was no meltdown. So, me, there was no meltdown. So you can see how how much of a say, like in regards to safety, we have really come a long way. And it's not just uranium, plutonium. We have things like thorium too, which mm-hmm. you can use to generate uh, nuclear power. Yeah. yeah, but at the same time, you know, I'm imagining, and this is just me, you know, responding to to what you're talking about. I'm, I'm imagining a few things: two-headed fish, uh, you know, deer <laughs> with like you know six legs. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the so, Simpsons cartoon, Springfield, yeah. but in, instead of Springfield, it's Alpine. Yeah. That's those what, two big old nuclear generators. Yeah, every, everyone thinks about that, but it, uh, doesn't, it, doesn't, it doesn't happen. No, yeah. it doesn't happen. And the, and the, the byproduct of that, um, at least the, the, what's released from those plants, is steam. Oh, yeah. And then you're left with... It's just water vapor. Yeah. The, what you're left with afterwards, the physical material is... is, is lead. Is lead and some... some radioactive material but which will decay again yeah we've got really great yeah. methods of of disposing of, of that stuff um, yeah. but and, that's 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 my opinion and people are welcome to call in or and or, as uh like uh rick just pointed out like and we know how to safely uh, uh dispose of these mm-hmm. right. things unlike solar and everything yeah. where we are still working on these things yeah we know our, how to our, safely our disposal methods at least here in the states is re- it's really incredible and it's 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 geology. You know, we've got nice. these huge, thick beds of halite salt. Yeah. And there are these mines that go hundreds of feet within the earth. And you take the, this nuclear waste material and you set it in, these, in this impermeable layer of salt. And the salt grows around it. Yeah. And it's encased in an impermeable layer of salt. Right? Wow. And when they, when they do these, these disposal um, sites... They take into account where the water table is, whether or not it's going gonna, it's gonna, to um, impact the water table, if it's going to pollute. Uh, so a lot of science goes into that. And it's a lot less polluting than, than anything petroleum extraction and, yep. and refinement. Um, yeah. Wow. So I, I, I suggest people do a little bit of research. Um, I think if we shift to nuclear, that's like the wave of the future, and that's going to take us into a new technological era and and all sorts of things but and we'll have two heads we'll have two heads two, right. two brains for, sweet for double the science right? all right all right well we're gonna go to a commercial break and we will be right back after this all righty we are back with the science nights we have about 10 more minutes to go and we're gonna be talking you know okay so we've been talking about energy power lights right yeah. the, the the ability to create our own light source and, and energy and Netflix and all that good stuff. Well, I was driving around during the blackout. Using uh, energy. Using energy, 100% <laughs> using energy. Um, but I was driving around at night, and I noticed the sky is just unbelievably gorgeous without all the light pollution. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I was thinking, you know, my mind kind of wanders when I take those drives, you know, those night nightly drives just to... You know, especially with a blackout, you just want to see what's going on. And um, I always thought, I, I wonder right now, since most of Texas is out, what it looks like, how much of a difference it looks like from space. And I thought, uh, you know, I just had to think about the uh, Perseverance mission yep. that, that is out there. And we're going to talk about that uh, here right now. Uh, what do you all think? Yeah, did you all watch it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 a big deal um, for geological science and biological science. So it's it's right in my neighborhood. Um, 
So this mission is going to return. It's going to come back. No, not well, they're going to send materials back. Well, no. the, they're going to be cached on Mars, and and hopefully in the near future there will be a mission to go pick the stuff up. Oh, okay. Yeah. So the, right. the rover that's out there, that. Perseverance, that just landed, um, has a core drill um, uh, fixed to it, and it's going to go around through this crater and take geological samples with this core drill, cool. and it deposits them in little little tubes. And it's going to, from what I understand, it's going to leave little piles of these these tubes for the next mission to come and pick up. Wow. And uh, uh, it's also going to carry, you didn't mention the special thing, the seismometer is going to carry. Is this the first time you're going to actually study a, another planet than Mars? And what are the seismic effects that are happening inside uh, the planet mm -hmm. to get a better idea of what is the internal structure of Mars? And... Perseverance also has a helicopter called Ingenuity. Right. So that's going to be pretty cool. This is the first time we're going to be flying a... And, and does this little helicopter fix itself? Uh, what do you mean fix itself? Like if it crashes, if the wind takes it? I would be I very don't... surprised yeah. <laughs> if it does. For, I read a little bit about Ingenuity and, <laughs> and um, the funny thing about that is it's there just because it's cool to see if, if oh. we can fly things on Mars. Yeah. I think that's its only purpose oh, is to see, see if... It's like there's there's a NASA guy there with a remote control flying this little helicopter on Mars. Yeah. Well, my dad came up with a great idea, thinking of like this giant beach ball with a camera in it, mm -hmm. like a 360 camera, and just letting the wind on Mars just take it wherever. <laughs> I mean, I, I love that idea. I wish yeah. I wish they would implement. But there's so much work and engineering and 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 time and money and effort spent into making this real. Like we're talking about colonizing Mars, yeah. and that's that's the really exciting thing beyond just the kind of intrinsic scientific value that we're getting is um, the main reason, or one of the main reasons that they're collecting and gathering these samples isn't just to study the geology and look for you know evidence of past life, but to make sure that there's nothing in the the surface soil of Mars that could harm people when we send them there. Right. Wow. So this is basically yeah. This is this. This step precedes another rover going to pick up the samples, returning those samples to Earth, yeah, and then making sure that it's safe, at least at that level, to send people. And uh, along with Perseverance, we have, like, also, we should not forget, there are, like, two other missions, too. One is the United Arab Emirates Hope mission, which arrived before Perseverance. Uh, and then uh, right after that, we had... Tianwen uh, 1 mission from China that also arrived. So three different missions, right, we happened within February uh, there. So uh, uh, to go briefly, Hope mission is basically, it's not going to land on Mars, but it's going to fly around Mars, studying the atmosphere of Mars in great detail. Uh, Tianwen 1 is basically going to look at, the, they have landed on Mars and they're going to study what's happening with the on the surface of the Mars to study the magnetic magnetosphere, the magnetic field of Mars in detail. Yeah. So, uh, and then you have Perseverance coming into play, looking specifically for life if it existed, because they they landed in a riverbed. Uh, so, uh, hopefully, that's mm. another thing. So they, they landed in a lake. Yeah, or lake, what was yeah. probably a lake. Lake, yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah, geologically, this it's is... it's really interesting because um, you look at the the surface Im imagery of of Yezero Crater, this big crater that the Perseverance landed in, and it looks like like an ancient lake on on Earth. There there are river deltas that are feeding into it, and and um, it's just a big circular crater. And yeah. so the Perseverance, like Anurban was saying, um, its main goal is to see if it can find evidence of past life. 
So it's going to traverse across these delta deposits, you know, where these streams presumably 3.8 billion years ago dumped sediment into this lake basin. And it's going to drill into these delta deposits and the kind of marginal deposits of the crater to see if there's carbonates, things we find on uh, rocks we find on Earth that relate to, to biological activity. Wow. Um, so it's really cool. So, so I have a question for y'all then. Is, is this going to be like whoever gets there first claims it, <laughs> like, like King of the Mountain? Is, or is that I don't what know. we're doing here? I, I, kind of, I kind of get the impression that they're, this is kind of the beginnings of another space race, which is kind of exciting. Oh, that is very yeah. exciting, yeah. That's, you know, competition drove us to the, to the moon, so yeah. maybe it'll do the same for Mars, but I don't know how it works. And if you plant a flag and Mars belongs to the U.S. <laughs> or to China <laughs> then, or what. Then you can expect wars, space wars. I hope, I hope not. Star no, wars. no space wars, no Star Wars. I mean, history. Uh, has peace, a, peaceful peaceful uh, gathering of, of science and that would be cool. Yeah. This, be cool. Is, this reminds me of that Eddie Izzard, uh, like, is a comedian who yeah. did this. Do you have a flag? If you don't have a flag, it's our country. <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's British, isn't he? He's British, yeah. He's British. That's what he said. That is that you a, little, a, a little painful for you? On <laughs> yeah. So he was like, it was really funny. Do you have a flag? No flag, no country. Wow. It's kind of like that. But, That's amazing. Um, uh, so, no, I was going to say, like, no, this is really exciting for all of us, just scientists in general. Inside and people to see. Uh, I mean, Mars is a long, long way out there. I mean, yeah. it's a long. It took. It is uh, three hundred, close to three hundred million miles. miles. Check this out. And perseverance. You know how fast it had to go to get there with uh, since last year, June last year, it had to go twenty four thousand six hundred miles per hour. Just it's to fast. J- uh, that is just amazing to me. The physics behind it, and it landed safely. Yep. Mm-hmm. Speaking of that landing, here's an uh, audio clip of when it actually landed. Let's check this out. Touch on confirmed. Yes. Perseverance safely on the surface of Mars. Ready to begin seeking the sands of past life. Wow, he got it. Uh, wow. This is so exciting. I, the team is beside themselves. It's, oh, it's, it's so surreal. Yeah, I mean, it's surreal because they put all of this effort into absolute perfection. Yeah. Everything had to be perfect. Perfectly Everything. engineered. Yeah. It's oh, amazing. Yeah. yeah and ho- hopefully we can get back up there to pick up this stuff pretty soon because I'm really curious to see what the what the soil and the, the rock looks like. Yeah. Well, it's, an, it's a very chaotic universe that we're in right now. I mean, think about our, our energy crisis that we're talking about, you know, um, oh, I was uh, emissions. I point, uh, point out to Thomas, I mean, uh, J- Japan is already coming at, back with uh, picking up samples from an asteroid. So there is that. We have getting <laughs> samples. So uh, we are looking forward to that one. Before we get back from Mars, we will have samples from asteroids to study. That's another geologic thing, too. Yeah, geological true. things, too. Yeah. So we'll be looking at that. So, yeah, we have pretty cool stuff going on. So Yeah. So so if y'all are y'all... Are you like just chomping at the bit to get this information in your hand so you can research it? Yeah, and and for me personally, you know, I'm I'm a paleontologist and a stratigrapher. I I deal with stuff here on Earth, but I've been really tempted over the past couple of years at Sol Ross here to try and develop at least a couple of planetary geology classes because I think that's that's one of these disciplines of geology that that we're going to see really evolve 
soon in the wow. near future. I mean, it's real. Wow. Like, you can teach half of my introductory geophysics class if you're so interested in that. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, uh, one of the things is with this Mars thing, even if we don't manage to get the data uh, in a sense like actual sample back, like having the seismometer up there would be a great, uh, then we can... Like, uh, as scientists, like, you do see a process happening on Earth. We study that, and we want to see what happens in a different place, right? Mm -hmm. So now that we know we have seismometers on Moon, mm -hmm. we, this is going to be the third one, and that would be pretty cool, just for mm -hmm. that purpose. Yeah, and if, if we do look at how quickly things happen in terms of our uh, technology and the advancement of science on Earth, we're going to find out a lot pretty quick, especially now that we have a, a seismometer on Mars. Yeah. And right. then when we get people... Boots on the ground, it's gonna just leap. I'm ready. I'm ready. Yeah, I'm I've got my I've got my rock hammer, my rock hammer, my backpack. If NASA <laughs> wants to call me up, um, I don't know if my wife. It's a one way would be trip. Too. Yeah, I, I might have to take baby Thomas and, and my <laughs> wife along too. Put him in my put him in my carry on. Sneak him on board. <laughs> sneak him. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I'm gonna find yeah. a Martian dinosaur. Nice. <laughs> hey, how cool would that be? Will that how cool would that be? Oh my just goodness. finding back. Uh, Evidence of bacteria would be cool. <laughs> yeah. Wow. So As, the implications there are just are crazy. And I wish Sean were, were yeah. here with us to talk about it, but man. I would be happy with just to eat virus, bacteria, like I should. Like any <laughs> virus is okay too. Doesn't yeah. matter. Anything. That that if we found if we found evidence of early like cyanobacteria on Mars, that basically means the, the bacteria evolved at the same time in two different locations. Yeah. Wow. From from the basic material of, of life. Life given to us. That's amazing. Yeah. Charlie. But we, we, we can't put our, our, what is it, put our eggs in, I in mean, the basket yet. And to be, <laughs> and to be very clear before we sign up for the show is like, uh, we have provided individual building blocks of life on Earth. We have made them synthetically yeah uh, so we have done all I think they stops. just cloned a ferret recently yeah that's uh, i was talking like uh, just uh, not just cloning i was talking on the individual cell kind oh, of thing cell, okay. cells. Yeah. so we have done things like cell membrane we have done things like uh, producing molecules which produce uh, does energy productions we have done uh, amino acids we have produced every single thing you know but we have what we haven't done is put them all together and made them reproduce without any help mm -hmm. so Whoa. that's the step that yeah. is remaining. That's one one of the two requirements for life. They have to be able to replicate. Yeah. Well, it, it, let me let me tell the listeners if you're listening to this show and you're not excited about science, time to get excited about science. Uh, especially kids out there, man. There is a whole world ahead of you, and it is in a textbook. It really is. Yeah. Like put down it, it your, all starts put, there. Yeah. Put down your smartphone and and grab a book and. And get ready because you might be the first person who, who steps on Mars. Who knows? Or build a cell. Or yep. build a cell. Yeah. Yeah. They're probably Googling books uh, as we're as we're talking right now. I hope anyway. so. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, we will see you all next week for another great episode of the Science Nights. Thank you, everybody, for listening. And we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to this episode of Science Nights in the Morning. Be sure and follow us on Patreon for exclusive gear and uncut episodes. Check out the latest science articles on our Facebook page and subscribe to us on YouTube and your favorite podcast listening app. You can also listen every Saturday at 10 a.m. Central Standard Time at BigBenRadio.com. And if you got a question, we'll join the discussion. Hit the hotline at 432-217-1983 and record your message. 
We couldn't do this without you. And thank you so much for listening each and every week. That's Science Nights in the morning with a K. And we'll see you next time.